This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about B2B SaaS benchmarking and its impact on go-to-market team alignment. Today, we have our guest, Ray Reich, joining us. Ray is the CEO and founder of RevOps, RevOps Squared, a company that conducts benchmarking research across a wide variety of KPI categories in the B2B SaaS industry, which then enables SaaS companies to exponentially increase customer acquisition, customer expansion, as well as customer retention efficacy. So Ray has more than 30 years now in, in the SaaS industry. His passion for data-driven and metric-based decision-making has helped him succeed across five SaaS company exits, which we'll talk about later today. So welcome, Ray. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Akil, hey, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So let's get into, you know, specifically... What, Talk about what exactly are you know revenue operations and you know if I'm a B2B SaaS company founder, why do I need to think about these benchmarks? What do I look at this research and assessments and then think about it for, for my perspective? Well, maybe I'll go back to my creation or vision for revenue operations back in 2008, which is when I first created this concept of RevOps Squared. And I've been a longtime operator of marketing, sales, services, and then customer success organizations. And one of my biggest challenges was the integration and alignment of those three or four teams. And what I found was if we had shared goals that we all were measured on equally, and that was things like revenue outcomes, customer satisfaction, it would allow us to align our processes, our platforms, and our data internally. So RevOps is really an organizational strategy to align sales, marketing, and customer success to the customer journey. And if you have those three go-to-market teams aligned to the customer journey, I think you're going to dramatically increase your revenue growth performance and ultimately your company value. Got it. And then, so if, what specifically, what would you say, what are those metrics and benchmarks that you know, these, these SaaS companies are looking at, uh, whether that's, you know, their finance, their budget, or kind of helping them make decisions when they're looking at across the, kind of the whole business and team? Yeah. 
Well, the reason we created our B2B SaaS benchmarking index was, once again, based upon experience, because our experiences do bias us, right? But they also mm-hmm. hopefully inform us. So often I was brought into organizations that had already raised a Series A round. They were typically in the as small as 1 million, but 1 million to 10 million ARR range. And my, um, I guess, perceived expertise was scaling to 50 and then 100 million. And there you have to lay in a lot of processes, organizational structure, and discipline. And because I was brought up at GE, General Electric, in their executive leadership program, we were always told to make decisions with data. So when I walked into a SaaS organization, the first thing I did was understand what were our internal measurements and our key performance indicators that were being measured. As you can probably imagine at that stage, often they weren't very robust, right? They were focused on, well, you know, we've grown 180% in the last year and our average contract value is this and our sales cycle is this. But I would always want to take the internal metrics and see how they compared to like company cohorts or benchmark ourselves against other companies. Now, often you're biased only by your previous one or two companies, right? Well, we had a 28% close rate, so we should have a 28% close rate. Mm -hmm. Or our sell cycle was 120 days, so ours should be 120 days or shorter. But I always went out and I tried to find research that actually benchmark companies like mine, my size, my average contract value, even my industry, because a marketing automation software company had different dynamics than a cybersecurity. And Akil, it's so hard to find that information. A lot of it's anecdotal, mm-hmm. it's biased. And even I would sit in board meetings and a board member would say, by the way, these were pretty well-known board members. Well, your gross dollar retention rate should be 88%. And I'm like, why do you say that? Because our product is one to 5k, right? Or we're at a $1 million. How do you know that that's what it should be right now? He goes, well, based upon my experience, you looked at their portfolio companies. It's like, we've got a few $20 million ones. You've got some product-led growth ones. So I said, the industry desperately needs benchmarks that segment the benchmarks by company size, Mm. by annual contract value, average annual contract value, by your go-to-market motion, are you sales-led or product-led? If you are sales-led, what is your true distribution model? Is it inside sales? Is it inside plus outside sales? Um, are there channel partners, etc.? Who are you selling to? Because these benchmarks are different if you're selling to an SMB cohort than an enterprise cohort, right? right. Fortune 500 buy differently than even mid-market. And even your funding source. Because if you're funded by a VC, they have different goals and metrics and growth rate is one of the top ones, right? Then if you're self-funded and bootstrapped, you got to generate enough cash to reinvest it in growth. So your benchmarks are going to be different on things like EBITDA and Rule 40. So mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do is provide benchmarks that are relevant to your stage and your type of company. Okay. So you know, if I have access now, you, you've kind of opened up the books and saying, look, this is all the data across the industry. Uh, I'm a B2B SaaS company I'm a, or I'm a board member. Now I can make better sound decisions because I look at you know, ACV of my competitors. I look at their growth rate. I look at uh, who they're targeting. All, all these kind of these uh, the metrics, which you kind of put together. Once I have that, what's typically the strategy that you're seeing people you know, adjust and make uh, when comparing to the overall industry and you know, uh, to leverage that information better? Yeah. Well, there's no one size fits all. 
Mm -hmm. So it's stage appropriate and it's kind of what's your overall strategy. So I would start with number one, never be a slave to one metric. Like if you say, well, net dollar retention is all I'm interested in because I understand now that the correlation to enterprise value multiples is now higher for net dollar retention. So number one, at your stage, what are your company goals? And I recommend setting three to five max company level metrics and goals that are measurable and can be benchmarked. So if you're at an early stage, let's say you're in a post-seed, it's all about customer growth, right? It's the number of customers. You may be looking at average contract value. Maybe you're trying to go from 25K to 40K because that's going to increase your growth rate. So you need to understand what your goal is at that point in time. But what's most important to us with establishing these company level metrics is the entire executive team owns those company level metrics. So let's say for this year, we're looking at 60% committed ARR growth. We're looking at a net dollar retention of 106%, which means we need to have 70% of our growth coming from net new and 30% from existing customer expansion. Now, we've got those as a team. Now, every member of the executive team can have objectives that are measurable that have a direct causal relationship to those company-level metrics. An example, if your goal is to grow um, your net new customer ARR by 60%, and that requires 100 customers, then marketing will say, well, my goal is I'm going to generate X dollars of pipeline from my marketing activities that results in inbound marketing um, pipeline. That's a very tangible goal. It's not number of leads. It's not how many website visitors or how many webinar attendees. It's a dollar of pipeline and then a conversion rate. Because I want to I should know for an inbound marketing lead that my conversion rate to a closed one deal is X percent, where mm-hmm. on an SDR outbound, my close rate for opportunities qualified is Y percent. Then the CEO and CFO and the CRO can make smarter decisions. I'm going to invest an extra million dollars in sales and marketing this year. Where should I invest it? Today, Akil, so many companies say, well, we have a 70-30 split. 70% goes to sales and 30% of my investment goes to marketing. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, well, why? Because I can get a higher return on investment as measured by not only close rates, but more importantly, CAC payback period, my CAC ratio, which says how much sales indoor marketing expense to invest for every dollar of ARR. You can make much smarter capital deployment decisions of where you put those investment dollars. And now, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but if you're getting ready to raise a series A or series B, that VC is looking at, if I'm going to invest $15 million into your company, how's it going to be deployed? What's the return on that $15 million, not only from a committed ARR, but also from a company value perspective, right? If you can go into, here's how I'm going to allocate that $15 million, because historically, for every dollar of marketing investment, we've gotten 88 cents of new ARR. And for every dollar of sales investment, we're getting 92 cents. You can make smarter decisions. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly it. That, that, that makes perfect sense. And you just nailed something there specifically for when it comes to, you know, raising your Series A, that's what really matters at that point, right? Like you have to have your numbers dialed in and you have to show how adding fuel to the fire is gonna, is, is exactly what you need to do. And by putting more money, you're going to get, uh, you know, putting X dollars, you're going to get Y out and it has to be very, you know, nicely shown and presented and you have to have that data 
uh, as clear as possible, right? So and that's that's super important. Yeah. And then I, I find there's, there's a lot of danger to metrics, right? So being a slave to metrics can be very dangerous. True. I've talked to multiple founders and CEOs over the last year who are getting ready to do a Series A round. So they raise seed. And as we know, seed is much different today than it was five years ago. So maybe they raise one to $2 million, right? At least in a seed round. Yep. And they're saying, well, I'm being asked, what's my customer lifetime value to CAC ratio? That's mm -hmm. one of the metrics, right? Exactly. But if you've only got one or two years of operating history, you're a million dollars in ARR, you don't really know your customer lifetime value because it factors in your churn rate. Mm -hmm. And if you've only got one renewal cycle, right, going, so months 13 to 24, you really don't know what your churn rate is. So your customer lifetime value can be artificially high. Right. as an example. So that's a metric that I'm like, yeah, don't worry about that until you've got two to three years of operating history and you can really start diving in. What are the input variables that impact your and thus customer lifetime value? Yeah. It, do you have any favorite maybe tools or, or softwares that you recommend to help keep track of all this data? Because I know there's, you know, there's well. there's a bunch of others, but uh, you know, do you have one that kind of combines it or something you, you love using yourself? Well, there's two things. So number one, you've got to instrument and collect all your internal key performance indicators to get the metrics right. So one of the tools, right, we're all biased by our experience, Insight Squared for a small to medium size SaaS company is one of the best tools I have because it takes your all the information from Salesforce, from your marketing automation, and it does three things. Number one, it kind of tells you what are is your pipeline coverage ratio for the last quarter, the last two quarters? And then it looks at your existing pipeline, right? And it says, based upon your existing pipeline, here's how much we forecast that you can actually close in the next month, quarter, et cetera. Really powerful information. Number two, it actually takes event and activity-based information like, oh, you have a stage four sales opportunity, but you haven't had a meeting in six weeks. There hasn't been an email exchange. Those type of activity-based metrics are really important to the quality and thus the forecastability of an opportunity. Mm. Now, the third thing that I love to see is benchmarks. And I have not found a great tool for benchmarking. There are pretty good tools for metrics calculation. So Insight yep. Squared helps you bring the data in. Tools like SaaS Optics, Sage Intact, which is a financial platform, has a really nice metrics calculation capability. And there's a lot of these emerging FP&A tools like Calculate, et cetera. They're doing a real good job of calculating your SaaS metrics using industry standard formulas. But from getting benchmarks, it's been really fragmented and very manual. And that's yeah. what we're trying to build here at RevOps Squared is you can go onto our site, type in those six or seven attributes of your company, and we never collect company-specific information. Because you said something earlier that is a fundamental um, value proposition for us. We're never going to collect individual data that's associated mm -hmm. with your company name. Now, okay. I know there's people out there like Nathan Lotka does a great job where he does his um, YouTube interviews is like, okay, I've got information from whether it's 20,000 interviews, et cetera. But most companies don't want to disclose, number one, their confidential metrics. And number two, how um, how high of quality is that data, especially if it's 12, 18 months old? Because if you did an interview pre-COVID, those benchmarks exactly. and data is bullshit. They had no value because 
growth rates, customer acquisition, cost payback periods, they all changed dramatically in the last six to nine months. So for RevOps Squared, we're trying to build that go-to destination where based upon your company attributes, you can see the best marks, not only for the last fiscal year, but for the last quarter. Got it. And, and so can you share a little bit, you know, maybe not specifics, but where are you gathering your insights and research work and how do you keep track over time, you know, because obviously the SaaS market is expanding. So the size of your data is expanding and then, you know, changes are happening so quickly, you know, with growth rates increasing year over year and, and you know, so many companies entering the market. Uh, how do you guys kind of keep track of that and how are you addressing kind of those uh, key points uh, over time and, and keeping that benchmark, uh, you know, up to date? It's the number one challenge with market research and especially mm. SaaS benchmarks because it mm. is evolving so quickly and people mm. are getting inundated every day with surveys, right? Or research. Yeah. So that is our biggest challenge. And if we can fix, if we can solve this, it's the biggest opportunity. So the first thing we're doing, Akil, is we're going out to other B2B SaaS companies who have products and solutions that impact one specific KPI or one specific process like customer acquisition. As an mm. example, in partnership with Demandbase, who's one of the leading account-based marketing intent data firms, we collected about 40 data points on benchmarking the investment and return on account-based programs. Things okay. like based upon company size versus non-account-based. What's the close rate for account-based opportunities versus non-account-based opportunities? What's the average contract value? So that's one KPI data set and benchmarks we have for account-based programs. Now we're doing one with Sage Intact, the financial platform, and we're looking at the financial management process. How much time does it take to do your monthly closes? How much time does it take to calculate all these metrics we're talking about? Mm. What are the source systems for the metrics data? So that's another benchmark category we're doing. We did one with Ring DNA which is one of the leading sales engagement platforms out there about customer acquisition benchmarks. How many outbound activities does the average SDR do to get one meeting? How many meetings does it take to have one qualified opportunity? What is the close rate of a stage one qualified opportunity to a win rate? So we have customer acquisition funnel benchmarks in concert there. The SaaS CFO, we're doing syndication of our company level metrics, the, the ones that create value like rule of 40, net dollar retention, CAC payback period. So our approach is a syndicate of partners who already have both customers and large marketing databases. And they go out with us to create a market research report that okay. becomes a content marketing asset that they can ex show their thought leadership and awareness. And then they can actually deliver that report through our platform in an interactive manner. And our benefit, instead of just having RevOps Squared going out there and collecting KPI data, we have now over 20 different companies that are going out and helping us collect data across currently eight different benchmark categories, expanding to 14 by the end of the year. Nice. Okay, so we've had, yeah, yeah. so you look at any of the current market research reports. Like I love KeyBank. KeyBank has for twelve years done their annual B two B SaaS benchmark report. Okay, twelve years. Last year, they had five hundred and thirty eight companies participate, and it doubled the previous year. It was a banner year. 
We've got over 10,000 companies to participate in our research over the last 12 months. And in our last kind of high-level B2B SaaS benchmarks, we had 748 unique companies, and it's only the second year we've done it. So it seems to be gaining momentum. Love it. Yeah, I think data is, uh, you know, it's, it's the most valuable piece right now. And I haven't checked, I haven't heard about KeyBank, but I'll, I'll definitely check them out. Um, for, for founders, maybe, you know, SaaS founders listening in and they're, you know, they look at data, they understand the value of making data-driven decisions, but there's always that kind of skepticism or fear to make those hard decisions, right? To help maybe improve their performance based on what they read. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because if you make that wrong decision, even though it's data-driven, it can actually go the wrong way, right? Like, let's say, for example, you're saying, you know, your your LTV is lower than your your competitors. And then you say, okay, well, maybe I need to increase my pricing. And but then you're like, look, well, it's working. You know, all these other benchmarks are doing fine. Yes, I need to focus and, you know, maybe increase my LTV. But if I make that move, maybe it'll have the opposite effect. And then, you know, you do all this work and planning and get the team online, your sales team to adjust this new pricing. And then the fear is that it actually has the, the opposite effect or, or, you know, just feels like there's, there's more uh, downside to the, maybe upside. How, how, what do you kind of suggest to them when you speak to them? Well, first of all, I think fear is more based upon the unknown than the known. Mm-hmm. And being informed is never a bad strategy, right? So I would say at least be informed of what like companies, not necessarily your competitor, because mm-hmm. you probably have a unique value proposition from your competitor, but from the cohort, you can say, hey, my cap payback period for my size company and my ACV should be around 12 months at media. Now, Mm -hmm. I may make the decision to increase my cap payback period to 18 months because I want to grow faster. So if I invest more in sales and marketing based on my historic evidence, it's okay. I'm going to take a hit on my CAC payback period, but in 24 months or 36 months, I'm going to have a higher committed ARR growth rate. So I say be informed of your cohort. Number two, make a decision with your team. Your executive team is responsible for executing the tactics to achieve those goals, right? So if you say, hey, here's what I think as a CEO, I think we should be focused on committed ARR growth this year. That's our number one goal. Our second goal is we want to make sure that we don't ignore our existing customers. So we want our gross dollar retention rate to be at 88%, which is kind of normal for my industry. And you got your executive team's buy-in. Now everyone knows, number one, what my goal is. We all co-own it. And we think that it's at least reasonable because there's a cohort of other companies out there that that's what they're achieving. How many times, Akil, have you seen a board of directors or a new CEO come on board and say, we've got to hit 50% growth rate this year. And now Mm -hmm. we're at 10 million versus a 5 million. And we only did 42% last year and our cohort's growing at 45 to 46%. Maybe a 70 or 80% growth rate is not an achievable goal, but at least we're informed directionally by the benchmarks. Then when our team decides, hey, we'll bought into those goals, and that's really important to buy in, then each of them have the responsibility to say, here are my top three to four measurable goals. And here, if I achieve those, here's how it impacts the company level goal that I just agreed to. So it's the cascading goals that we think is really important that CEOs and CFOs need to get buy-in on. Because Akil, 
we go back to the beginning of this conversation. I said, I created RevOps Squared to help with marketing, sales, and customer success alignment integration to the customer journey. To me, that begins and ends with we have shared goals. We have departmental goals that have a direct causal relationship to those. And every time we talk about how our key performance indicators are trending, we know that we're reporting to the goals that we all agreed upon and that are shared in common. Mm. How many times do you see you hire your new CMO? You get your Series A. The CMO comes in, you've got to grow faster, and the CMO says, okay, I'm going to generate 50% more leads. Mm. That's what I need to do. Exactly. So, man, marketing invests a lot of money, a lot of demand generation programs. They may tweak the MQL, and it's like at the end of three months, end of six months, look at me. I just generated 50% more MQLs. And the sales leader said, but my conversion rate of MQLs to a stage one qualified opportunity reduced by 32% quarter over quarter. And then they get into, well, you're not qualifying right. Or you're not qualifying hard enough. And the salesperson exactly. you're, says, your MQLs suck. It's like, wait a minute, guys. Our shared goal was we were going to increase our pipeline by $5 million last quarter, of which $2 million was going to be from inbound leads from marketing programs, and $3 million was going to be from outbound activity, $2 million by SDRs, $1 million by strategic accounts with the end of AE base. Mm-hmm. Align, 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 and agree. Seems, yeah, seems super important, but it seems so easy, right? To communicate it very, very clearly to everybody. But yeah, it's, it's a lot harder when people have their own kind of uh, agendas or plan or when, when things are not communicated clearly, right? So, Keel, in what we're doing, <laughs> I'm a big fan of this concept of chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. But my definition of a chief revenue officer is an individual and the associated organizations that are aligned and integrated to meet the customer journey expectations. But what's happening, if you really go out and say, Mr. or Mrs. CRO, what responsibility do you have? Oh, I run sales. Mm. Or, oh, I run sales and customer success. Less than 50% of CRO titles have marketing, sales, and customer success responsibility. So to me, it's just a glorified title for a head of sales. Mm. and isn't achieving the stated goal, which is to have true alignment integration of those three functions to the customer journey. That's mm. a big issue out there, in my humble opinion. I, I agree with that, definitely. Ray, and we, then, we oh, by the way, to, let me add to that. And mm. what I, my point of that, so what, Ray? Well, the CEO, that was her job, right? Her job was to make sure everyone's rowing in the same boat in the same direction. And now it's kind of been outsourced to, well, I couldn't get marketing, sales, and customer success aligned, so I'll, I'll send it down one level, and that's what the CRO needs to do. Exactly. <laughs> A lot easier for them to take the blame, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've had, you know what, you said five exits with your SaaS companies. And we also talked about, you know, from an investor perspective, what they look for when evaluating opportunities and what the key points maybe they decide on. So we talked about the, you know, CAC to LTV ratio. You know, and you also mentioned three to five ones that are really important. Do you suggest maybe, is there any that you suggest SaaS founders should really look at internally uh, to make sure they calculate and benchmark their companies for improving their chance for whether it's investment or getting an acquisition? Yeah, happy to do that. Of course, at the, at the end of the day, any investor is looking at the market opportunity that a company is addressing. 
right? Some people will say it's got to be at least this large because if I can't create a hundred million or a billion dollar company, I'm not going to do it, right? Um, they, of course, they look at the team, the quality of the team. So there's some of those things that everyone knows what VCs look for. But now let's take it down into what are the metrics, especially if it's more growth stage or even beyond growth stage into kind of private equity acquisition. What are those goals or what are those metrics? And they are stage appropriate. But number one, I look at the R squared, which is a logistical regression variable that looks at the correlation of a metric to enterprise value to next 12 months revenue. And of course, it's easy to see in public companies. Five years ago at Keogh, rule of 40, which is adding your growth rate plus EBITDA, that was the number one metric that VCs looked at and had the highest correlation to the enterprise value multiples. Hmm. Today, it's number four. The number one multiple for more mature SaaS companies today is net dollar retention. Mm. It's R squared factor is 0.42, which means the closer you get to one, the more correlated it is to your enterprise value to revenue multiples. It's number one today. So even though I wouldn't tell a seed stage company, look at NDR or a single product company to look at net dollar retention, everyone should be thinking about does my go-to-market strategy and my focus, how is it going to impact net dollar retention over 12, 24, 36 months? So NDR is very important. Committed ARR growth is number two from an R squared factor. It's around 0.29, 0.3. So you still need to think about growth of being a top metric. So if your committed ARR growth isn't kind of in the range for your stage company. And, you know, we've talked about the 33222 model for years. But if you're a, a 10 or $15 million company, your growth rate's going to be different, right? So committed ARR. Revenue growth. Revenue growth, which is gap revenue growth, is number three. And often people say, well, what's the difference between ARR and revenue growth? Well, some organizations, right, are actually driving... 20, 30% to other revenue means, things like, um, and these are usage-based criteria. It might even be GMV for an e-commerce company, right? It yeah. might be number of transactions, because not every SaaS company takes overage revenue and puts it into committed ARR. It just goes to gap revenue. Mm -hmm. So number three, so we've talked about net dollar retention, which is driven by gross dollar retention and expansion, committed ARR, revenue growth, CAC payback period. Right. So how long does it take to pay back your marketing and sales expenses? You invest in gaining a new customer, right? How long does it take to pay back on a gross margin adjusted basis? Because if you look at CAC ratio or SAS magic number, it's not gross margin adjusted. So with CAC payback period, since it looks at your gross margin rate, you have, it's a multivariate input formula. It might be how efficient am I with marketing and sales investment to get a new dollar of ARR? But my gross margin also might be too low. I might be at 64% gross margin, and my cohort says for subscriptions I should be at 72 or 74%. Well, that 8 to 10% difference might reduce your CAC payback period by two, three, four months. So CAC payback period, very important. And then... As you have three to four years of operating history, we truly do believe that customer lifetime value to CAC ratio is very important because it, it, it 
not only factors in gross margin on ARR brought in, it factors in your churn rate. Exactly. Because gross margin and churn are the two major variables that determine customer lifetime value after your average revenue per account number. As well as re- probably retention rate is your net retention rate. So I think that all drives back to one kind of core factor is like, how valuable is your product? If people are sticking around, I mean, at the end of it, right, that's what the, those numbers paint the story of like, how much do people value your product? How much is it actually, you know, do they like it? How long are they sticking around? And do they see the value of continuing to use it? And I think that's really what investors want to see by, by looking at those, those numbers, right? That brings up a really important point because I have a podcast and in fact, going to be a guest on the Metrics of Major podcast. Mm-hmm. And we talk to a lot of customer success and CEOs and founders. And I just had an interview the other day and we were talking about the evolution of customer success. Mm. What's the primary purpose of customer success? And you're going to get different feedback from different people you ask. Mm. But she answered it and I thought it was so spot on. Customer success owns that the customer's achieving customer value. They know what the measurable value is. And it's not just the user, because the value that the user is getting, it's gotta be translated into the business value that the CEO and CFO care about, right? Mm. So she said, customer value is number one. So when you do your quarterly um, business reviews with clients, or you talk to the clients, or you do surveys of net promoter score, et cetera, don't forget the business value. Can you link everything they say back to tangible business value? So to me, it's all about business value. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.